Grab your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's where we're going to be today. We're continuing our series entitled Dealing with Life, and we've been just talking about different issues that everybody has to deal with in this life. We've talked about dealing with temptation. How many of you have ever faced temptation? Some of you were tempted not to raise your hand, right? So uh, we, we talked about dealing with rejection. We, we talked about dealing with discouragement. We've talked about dealing with, uh, with all kinds of different things. And today we're, we're, we're going to be talking about dealing with death. And, uh, and I'll, I'll explain in a moment why we're, we're talking about this. But there is, there is great comfort for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. Follow along with me. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in, now that's our body. The earthly tent that it's talking about is our body. That's our physical body. He, that's what he's writing about. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heaven, heavenly dwelling, that is our glorified bodies. Verse 3, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Glory to God. What a powerful statement. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due Him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for the hope and the, and, the, and the peace and the strength and the truth that we find there. And I pray, God, that today that you would make your word come alive in our hearts. Help us to, to hear you speaking to us deep within our inner being, Lord God. I know, Lord, that my words have no power. My words are meaningless on their own. But, Lord, your word is eternal and your word is powerful and your word can change us. So God, I'm asking not that anybody would leave this place saying that they heard a great sermon. I'm not asking that anybody would leave this place saying that they, that they like that preacher. I'm asking God that we would all leave this place saying, surely I have heard from God on, on this day. And so Lord, we just pray, have your way in us in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Some years ago, a uh, pastor of an independent charismatic church in Atlanta, in the Atlanta metropolitan area, announced to his church that uh, God had revealed to him that there was no need for a Christian ever to die. He said, therefore, I am claiming by faith that there will never be another death in this church. He said that God had revealed to him that the second coming of Christ was going to happen before another person in his church died. He said, therefore, we're confessing good health. We're confessing that we'll walk in divine health. He said, we're confessing that there will never, ever be another funeral in this church. Well, that was a number of years ago. And as you might have guessed, it was the beginning of an absolute unmitigated disaster and a source of unrelenting embarrassment for the body of Christ. And 
Oh, oh, the terrible damage that was done. When you, when you look at that kind of announcement, uh, or when you make that kind of announcement, it, you, you place on people a, a load of guilt, you place a condemnation on the congregation, because if they get sick, if, if anyone in the congregation dies, if there's anything that happens like that, then they're, they're operating contrary to the will of God or contrary to the revelation that the pastor's been giving. But he, I'm here to tell you today, there is nothing in the Word of God that even intimates, intimates in any way at all that we can expect to live without any touch of harm or hurt or woundedness or that the Christian will not die on this earth. Uh, listen, friends, until the second coming of Christ, until the moment when Jesus Christ burst open uh, the, the eastern sky and is revealed in his glory, until that time when we cast off our mortality and rise to meet him in the air, Christians will die. In fact, we know that there are many of them that are dying today in Afghanistan. This is the word of God. There's nothing, absolutely nothing that the Bible, in the Bible that leads us to that kind of deception or both self-deception and deception of others into believing that if we do a certain thing or say a certain thing or live a certain way that Christians need not ever die. Nothing could be further from the, church, uh, from the truth. Someone, someone once said that in life there are only two things that are absolutely certain. And how many of you know what those are? Death and taxes, that's what they say. And, and my friends, death is certain. But God has a great word of comfort for us. Some of you are like, oh, I'm glad you said that because it's like, wow, this is really a downer. But this word tonight, to this morning is not a, a down word. This is a very encouraging word. There, the, 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 God's word has a word of great comfort for us in the face of this reality. We know that we will experience physical death, except for those who are alive when Jesus comes and who will be caught up in the air with him. But, but knowing that we will experience physical death gives us no fear. It gives us no fear. This, this, there, this is something that our modern, sophisticated, urbane culture in the cleanliness and sterility with which we've surrounded ourselves, we have we've almost brought ourselves into a place where we no longer have to really deal with death as one of the realities of our existence on this planet. We, we, have, we have almost pushed it back from us to the point where we, we, we no longer see people die. There, there, there are many young people today who have never seen the body of someone who has died. There, there are many young people today who have never attended a funeral. And, and because of that, that, that's something that happens elsewhere. It's unrealistic to them. It, it's detached uh, from them. They, they never talk about it and, and they never hear anybody talk about it. And the very reason that I've included this sermon in this series is because I've been in the ministry for many, many years now. And I, and I, I thought about trying to figure out how many years, but then that, I decided that would depress me. And so, um, but I've been in the ministry for many years and I've, I've heard over the years, as many of you, I have heard thousands of sermons and I have preached thousands of sermons, but I, I can say this, it is a very rare thing to hear a meaningful sermon on death outside of a funeral. And the problem is not everybody attends funerals. The, 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 there used to be a time in, in American culture where we 
saw death up close, you know, and because of that, it lost some of its terror because it was just a part of the reality of life. People, people didn't die in hospitals or nursing homes. People died at home and children weren't sheltered from the reality of death. So somebody would say, grandpa has died. And they were able to hear those words and understand what it meant. But, and now, now today in this world, now there's a sense in which we have lost touch with that reality. There are children in America who, have, who do not understand what death really is. Many, many American families are, are broken apart. They live far apart. They don't know their extended family. Many Americans attend very few funerals in a lifetime and very few children attend anymore. So they don't have to deal with the reality of it. They don't see the things that go along with the scene of death. As a result of that, I, I believe that it's important for the church to make a meaningful statement about what the Bible has to say about death. We, we must find a place for the acceptance of this reality of physical death in our modern society. Because death is universal. You know, the statistics are overwhelming. One out of every one person born, it dies. That's a pretty overwhelming statistic. And it is a shared reality for all of humanity. Therefore, I want to start by saying this. Relationships are important at the point of death. It's important that we learn to face death in families and that we learn how to help children understand what's happening, that we talk about it as parents and grandparents. Can I speak to you for just a moment from my heart about what I believe to be consistent with the Word of God? When, when someone in your family or, or in this church passes away, when they die, and your children ask questions about death and what it's like, I urge you, don't run from those questions. Don't, don't avoid those questions. Deal with those questions straight out. And, and, and when you answer those questions, don't give them foolish answers. Don't say to them things that are completely unbiblical, things like, well, Grandpa has gone to be an angel. When we die, we, we don't become angels. Uh, angels are, are completely different beings. They are beings that are created by God. They're different than human beings. Uh, angels have always been angels, and they will always be angels. They're not going to ever be anything else. Human beings are, are, will always be human beings, and they're not ever going to be anything else. Human beings don't become angels after they die. When we die in Christ, we go to be in the presence of Jesus. We'll receive our, our glorified bodies. We'll walk on streets of gold. We'll look on the face of angels, but we don't become angels. That's a, that's a, a Hollywood uh, 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 speaking about that, not scripture. Somebody made up that idea for the movies, but it has nothing to do with the Bible. So I just urge you, don't let Hollywood inform your children about death. Talk to them about it from the Bible when they ask. But I believe this. I believe the experience of physical death needs to be embraced as a, as a reality of a family experience. Uh, it needs to be understood in that context, in relationships. There, can I say this? People who are dying need to talk about it with other people to be able to deal with it. Even this sermon right now, you know, uh, I believe God has placed on my heart uh, I, I, because he wants to take some of the sting and some of the nightmare fear out of death. Uh, I know that it, it may be hard for you to think this way, and we're going to get to some other things that are probably going to be a little more exciting for you. But I, I want you to understand this. If Jesus waits long enough before he returns, everybody in this room is going to die. 
Parents are going to die. Children are going to die. Grandparents are going to die. Therefore, knowing the absolute inevitability of that physical passage, it's important that we embrace it from a family point of view. I, I believe that people need to, uh, to be around us when we die. I think that we need people when we come to that moment to embrace that experience with us. And I, I think that's a very difficult balance because on the one hand, there is the loss and the grief and the pain of seeing someone that you love die. That is real. And, and, and because of that, we want to fight that death. And there's, there's nothing wrong with fighting that, uh, uh, that death. To, with, there's nothing wrong with doing everything we can do medically uh, and, and through faith and through prayer and through the laying on of hands and through the anointing of oil and through intercessory prayer. There's nothing wrong with fighting it. In fact, fight it to the last moment. But I also want to say there needs to come a moment where we go into that experience with those people who are dying. Some years ago, uh, Mark Rutland shared the story about a dear friend of his named Jim who had been diagnosed with cancer. He, he was a wonderful Christian man, a missionary. And Dr. Rutland said that he was one of the finest Christian uh, men he had ever known in his life. And the man was diagnosed with cancer and, and, uh, and, and people literally from all over the world were praying for him to be healed, as was Dr. Rutland. And, he himself laid hands on him and prayed for him. Many, many people did. Dr. Rutland said he had, he had no idea how many prayer meetings that Jim attended where people laid hands on him and prayed for his healing from this curse of cancer. Uh, but, but long into this process, months and months and months into this process, Dr. Rutland said he began to feel in his spirit that Jim was, was going to die. He began to sense that God was saying to him deep inside of him, he was saying, I'm not going to heal him. I'm, I'm going to take him home. Well, Dr. Rutland, however, the problem was he was so intimidated by the atmosphere that they, that, that, that they had created around Jim that, that he could not tell anyone what he was feeling. He couldn't say it out loud. He felt it deep inside and it was agony to him. He wanted to, to talk with somebody. He wanted to talk with Jim. He was one of his closest friends in this life. And finally, as Jim's health continued to, to, to deteriorate, Dr. Rutland was at his bedside and the house was just filled with people. And Dr. Rutland and Jim were the only two people in his bedroom. And and this man pulled up in a car outside the house and he pulled up in the driveway and, 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 and with a, a jumped out of the car and with this fevered look on his face, he ran into the house and said that God had revealed to him that he was supposed to do a certain thing and that Jim would be healed. And he, he walked into that room and he spoke to Jim and he said, God has given me this word, thou shalt live and thou shalt not die. And he, and he gives John, Jim this strong word and then he just went out. Well, after he was gone, Jim looked over at Dr. Rutland and just said, Mark, close the door, close the door. And so he got up and went over and closed the door and came back and sat down by the side of the bed. Jim took Dr. Rutland's hand in his hand and he said, and he just asked him, he said, Mark, has God spoken to you about me? Well, Dr. Rutland's heart was just beating a million miles a minute. He didn't know if he should say what he was feeling because he, he was afraid of damaging his faith. I mean, what if, what if he said what he was feeling and that became the very thing that caused him to give up and die? I mean, you understand the, the struggle that he would have, was feeling in that moment. Finally, he said, Jim, I, I don't know. I, I think maybe, I think maybe I've heard something. And Jim said, me too. And I'll tell you what it is. God has told me that I'll be home in just a few days. Then he said, nobody 
Well, talk to me about it. He said, frankly, I'm excited. I'm about to see Jesus for myself. He said, will you just talk to me about heaven for a while? There was something inside of Dr. Rutland that, in hearing that, just wanted to say, no! No, 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 no! You're not going to die. You're, we're we're going to claim that healing. Didn't you hear the word? And, but instead, Dr. Rutland just looked at him and said, Jim, what about this man who came in here and he thinks he had a word from God? Jim patted Dr. Rutland's hand and he said, oh, Mark, just leave him to heaven. And they just sat. They talked about death, about the experience of it, and about going through the door and seeing Jesus' faith. And after that conversation, Dr. Rutland left and he went home. Well, in less than 24 hours, not days, but less than 24 hours, Jim was with Jesus. Dr. Rutland said when he told that story, he said, that he has never, ever regretted that conversation. You know, I have determined in my heart that when someone says to me, I'm dying, that instead of arguing with them, instead of just trying to prop up their faith against my better judgment, I'm going to walk with them into that experience. I, I believe that there is a comfort and, and a grace and a faith that God can give in death. There, there are times I believe, I, with all my heart, I believe there are times when God will raise us up from a deathbed. with a He will give a miraculous healing. He will banish a cancerous, cancerous growth from our body. He'll heal leukemia. He'll raise us up, deliver us. I believe it. I've seen it. But I also think there are times to sit around the bedside of a dying saint and rejoice with him, to comfort him. In John Wesley as he was lying on his deathbed, was surrounded by people who were mourning and crying, and they were just carrying on and, you know, weeping and wailing. And finally, old John Wesley, he just raised up on his elbow. He's weak within hours of his death. And he said, will you stop this? He said, won't somebody sing a hymn? Don't you love that? And they sang a hymn and began to rejoice in the Lord. And in a few moments, John Wesley lifted up his head one more time and he said, the best part is God is with us. And then he passed on to glory. I, I believe that we need to learn how to balance our mourning and our grieving and the ongoing nature of life beyond death. Because see, there, there is a tension within us. We feel it. Paul discussed it. In, in the book of Philippians, this is what he said. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I don't really know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. He said, he, he's saying there, there's a way in which I want to be out of this body. I feel limited in this body. He said, my mind is limited. My spirit is limited. He said, there are things that I want to know about heaven and about the glory, about glory and about God. And, and he said, I want to see the angels. I want to go on and get out of this. And I want to be with God. Listen, when this earthly temple is taken down, we, we don't just float off into never, never land. We don't just become uh, unclothed, as, as it said in Corinthians. Uh, we become clothed in, in, in immorality, in, not immorality, that's a completely wrong, immortality. That's a very important T in that word, just so you know. Pay attention in spelling class because that's an important letter. Uh, we become clothed with immortality. That's the more correct, correct word. 
what happens is something better happens. When this earthly tent is taken down, it doesn't become nothing. It becomes something greater. It becomes something greater. So Paul said, there's a part of me that wants that, but, but, but he said, I also feel the need to stay here for you. He said, I want to be here with you and I want to help you. I, I think you need me. I think you need instruction. I think you need teaching. I think you need preaching. I want to be here with you, he said. And, and we all feel that tension, don't we? There, there's a part of us that says, like the old song, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. Oh, what a day, glorious day that will be. There's part of us that we hear that, we're like, yes, oh, I, I believe that, I feel that. We know that, but, 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 but the thing is, knowing that doesn't completely take away the reason that we fight death when it comes along and, and that we ought to. I want to stay here. I, I want to see my, my babies grow up. Now, I know you're, you're looking at me and saying, they're not babies anymore, but every parent here knows they're always babies in your mind. You know, I want to see my daughters grow and I want to see them get married. I want to walk them down the aisle one day. I, I want to see somebody married. I want to see somebody that thinks they can handle them. I really want to see that. I really do. I'm, I'm eager to see what God does in Aaron's life. I, I'm, I'm eager to see where God takes Abby in her life. I, I want to see the beautiful, gracious, wonderful men that my daughters are becoming. And I believe that, that he's going to do great things. I want to see that. But I also know that there is nothing in this life. No experience, no relationship, no pleasure, no, no satisfaction that can possibly compare to the moment when God Almighty puts his thumbs to my cheeks and wipes away every tear that I've ever had in my life. What compliment from human tongue can possibly compare, compare to that priceless moment when the thunderous voice of Almighty God says, Well done, good and faithful servant. What can compare to that moment? I, I feel that tension, don't you? You feel that tension. We all feel that tension. There, there is a sense in which death opens on to something better. There's also a sense in which it ends something here. But there's no way to escape that tension. We simply accept it and embrace it. And we say, I don't want to lose grandpa. We kneel by his bed. We pray and we say, oh God, don't let him die. Oh God, don't let him die. But there has to come that moment when somebody is lying there with tubes in his nose and tubes in his arms and his body is racked in pain and he's, he's holding on and he's partially he's holding on for you. It's got to come that moment when somebody says, Grandpa, we love you, but you're free. You're free to go. It's okay. It's okay. We'll be okay. I believe that people ought to be able to experience the valley of the shadow of death by letting some family member take their hand and put it in the hand of Jesus and say, All right, Jesus, you lead him from here. Go into it with them as far as you can go. But I'm telling you, there's going to be a point beyond which you simply cannot pass. And in that moment, right there, you've got to release them and let them go on with, with God. If they have your permission in that moment, they'll often be able to experience that in greater sweetness. And I have seen it so many times in my ministerial career, somebody in the hospital, 
or in a hospice setting, or barely hanging on, and I've seen them when the family finally comes and says, it's okay. And that's the moment when they, they go on to be with Jesus. Because they're sometimes fighting because they have that, they're fighting that, with that tension. <laughs> saying, I want to go be with Jesus. But I also want to be here for you. So that, that tension is there. But I think the question we have to ask is, what is death? What, what is death? Because if we understand that, it makes that moment, uh, we can do that uh, with greater balance. We can do this in a way that helps them uh, find their, their eternal joy. We can do it with tenderness and compassion and faith uh, when we understand what death is. Because death is not the annihilation of the spirit. It's not the end of existence. There's no such thing as limbo or purgatory or reincarnation or any other man-made ideas that we've dreamed up. Death is an immediate historical moment in time that ends one level of existence and immediately opens up another. It's more of a doorway than anything else. When we die in, in Jesus Christ, we are immediately brought forth into glory in His presence. If we die in Jesus, we're, uh, I can tell you this, I want you to understand, we're, if we die in Jesus, we're not going to be reincarnate, reincarnated as a dog for Pete's sake. Okay? Uh, if, if I am reincarnated, I want to come back as my sister's cat because that cat has got the life. I'm telling you, she's one of those people whose philosophy is that if an animal, animal comes around, if a stray dog walks up, you feed it until it goes away. That's her philosophy of dealing with, with dogs. You know? so, but listen, we're not going to be reincarnated as any kind of creature. There are no future parakeets in this room. 10,000 years from now, you're not going to be somebody in a foreign country somewhere else remembering this past life. That is a deceit from the devil. And the reason he deceives people in that way is because it allows us to refuse to face the reality that God's word says it is appointed unto man once to die. And after that comes judgment. And, and so if I'm going to be reincarnated, why do I have to really deal with what's going to happen after I die? So it's a deception. Those who die in Christ will immediately be with him. We pass immediately into that time when we receive our glorified bodies. That's what Corinthians was talking about. In that sense, we can think of it like this. Death is changing our clothes. Death is changing our clothes. That's what the passage from 2 Corinthians talks about. Death isn't just unclothing ourselves. That's exactly what he talks about. He uses that kind of language. It's not just unclothing ourselves from our fleshly body. We don't just become unclothed and our spirit just doesn't float around naked through the universe. We're not going to become unclothed. We become clothed in victory. The, the, this mortality that we now see, this flesh and blood body, as it begins to experience the, the, the hammer blows of life, Life. And we all know life, life brings hammer blows. Can anybody say amen? We begin to walk through that. We begin to feel that. And then as we begin to grow older, we begin to feel that this body is slowly being disassembled. Can anybody say amen? amen. <laughs> you know, that's a, just a fancy way of saying I'm falling apart, right? We have this hope that this body is not going to just dissolve and then our spirit will wander naked through the universe. In fact, nothing could be further from the truth. We come out of this house and move into another house. A house that's been prepared for us by God the Father. That house is 
worthy of walking streets of gold and living in immortality. We are clothed now in, in mor mortality, but then we shall be clothed in immortality. We are now clothed in this body of pain, but we shall then be clothed in his peace. We are now clothed in weakness, but we shall then be clothed in his strength. 1 John 3, 2 says, It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now that's a glorious hope right there. That's a glorious hope. So that brings it, it into balance. There is a way in which I cling then to this body. There's a way in which I, I want to be here. I want to see you. I want to see my wife. I want to see my children. I want to see what God does in their lives. But there's another way in which I know that as I draw closer and closer to that moment where I must say goodbye and I must step across the line, that I know that I'm going to step into something that is even more wonderful, more precious, more magnificent than anything that I've even thought of or dreamed of in this life. See, death is, what we have to remember, death is really temporary. It's temporary. How many of you know that a child has a very limited view of space and time? Uh, and the younger the child, the more limited the view. Like little Brewer this morning, as we met, many of you met him for the first time today. Uh, how old is he now? Three weeks Tuesday. I mean... You know, can I tell you something? Little Brewer has no understanding of space and time whatsoever. Not yet. All he knows is whether mommy or daddy is with him right this second. That's all he knows. You can't, as I know you have figured out, you can't just lay that baby down and say, daddy's going into another room and, and I'm just going to go in this other room and I'll be back in two minutes. Right? How many of you have ever tried that with a baby? No, because he doesn't understand minutes. You can't explain that to a baby. You know, you say, patience now, stay calm, because I'll be back in just a few minutes. A baby cannot understand that. To him, you're either there or you're not there. That's all a baby knows. That's all a baby understands. A baby cannot understand anything else. But then as that baby uh, grows in an understanding of space and time, then they're able to begin to understand, but they don't, still don't fully grasp it even as they get older. You know, you, you say, all right, sit right here in this chair, and I'll be back in five minutes. Uh, you know, I'm just going to go into another room, and I'm going to change my clothes, and, and then I'll come back in five minutes. You look at me and you say, I've already got you all dressed up for church, and you're ready to go, so you just sit here in this chair for five minutes, and I'll be back. And they look at you and say, how long is five minutes? And, and then you, you, you walk out, you go out the door, you close the door, and what do you hear next as soon as you close the door? Are you ready yet? And you're like, I just closed the door. How many of you have ever taken a car trip with a child? Let me see your hand. There's a special grace for parents for car trips because how many, what's the favorite question? Are we there yet? <laughs> There's no hesitation and it was all unanimous. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? You know, when my girls were little, we'd get in our car and I'd say, okay, listen now, daddy's going to crank the engine up and the first child that says, are we there yet, is going to get left by the side of the road. Yeah. No, when, when we arrive, daddy will say we're there. You'll hear it come from my lips. Nothing is going to be kept secret from anybody. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, I didn't really do that. I wanted to. I wanted to, but I never said that. But children don't understand space and time. They don't understand distance. They don't understand how long it's going to take. You can't say to a small child, we'll be there in an hour. Because then they say, how long is an hour? And you have to find some way to communicate that. You're like, well, that's two Scooby-Doo's. You know, that's how they, that's how they know. They don't know an hour from a year. They don't know anything like that. But as children grow and mature, they begin to get a feeling of the passage of time. They begin to understand that you're going to, be, you're going to go into that room and then in five minutes you're going to come back and they can wait five minutes and, 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 and as they begin to mature and they figure this out, it usually happens around the age of 30. So I'm pretty sure that's when it takes place. Uh, but, but, uh, but they realize that they ought to be able to wait for you. The, the older we get and the closer we get to maturity in these things, the more they become more and more clear to us. And I say all of that to say the same thing is true of life and death. At this time, our view of time, space, and eternity is very limited. We have a very shallow understanding. How many of you can understand eternity? Anybody here? We, can, we, we might be able to define it, but we can't really wrap our brain around it. We can't really understand it. We're like children. We're confined to our understanding and our images of these things. So when grandpa dies, what he's saying is, is I'm going to go into another room and I'm going to change clothes, but I will see you again soon. The door closes behind him. He's not here. We don't hear his footfall, footfalls. We don't, we don't hear his voice. We, we don't hear the cough in the early morning anymore. His place at the breakfast table is empty. And all of the grief and agony and loneliness, it, it, all of that is all that we can see at that moment. And, and at that moment, that child in me wants to say, are we there yet? Has it been five minutes? Is the hour up? But if grandpa seated in heavenly places with Jesus in his glorified body, if he could speak to us back through the veil of time and space, he would say, you don't understand. You, you don't understand. It's, it's just going to be the twinkling of an eye. And I'll be back. I'll see you. It is this wonderful knowledge of this, of this thing that, that we call physical death that brings us into a place where death no longer has any sting for us. 1 Corinthians 15, 55, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Grave, you have no victory over us, for, for your victory has been swallowed up by the greater victory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Death has been defeated. Mortality has been baptized in immortality so that we dismantle this physical human body and open the door and walk through. And when it closes behind us, we are instantly clothed in a new, whole new life in just a moment, in the, in the twinkling of an eye, in, in, in the light of of eons, of tens of millions of eons of being with God. What is 15 years of being separated from those whom we love so deeply? We have to grow in our maturity and understanding about death just a little while. Just a little while and we'll be together. Just a little while we'll be with Jesus. You know, there's a wonderful, sweet, precious peace at the at the funeral of a saint i've done many many funerals in my ministerial career and 
I've done funerals for people who were, who you just, you knew, you just knew they loved God with their whole heart. I've done them with, for people that you just don't know. But in the, at the funeral of a saint, it's, it's, it's different. It's wonderful. There's a sweet, precious peace there. In fact, Psalm 116 says, precious in the, in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. You know, Tim Brown, you don't know him, but he's a dentist who, who sat on the board of directors for a ministry called Trinity Foundation. And Tim's son had his leg amputated as a result of bone cancer. He, he was a, a very courageous young man as a, as a boy. He, he, this happened to him. And, but, but after he had his leg amputated, he learned to jump on the trampoline with one leg. And he used to brag that he was the best one-legged trampoline artist in the world. It was just amazing. But uh, eventually... Uh, cancer took his life as a teenager, 16 years of age. But you know what? There was, there was no bitterness that his life had been snatched away from, from, from him. There was no anger at God at the funeral. At his funeral, one, one message, the, the one message he left for the minister who was doing a service, he said to the minister, he said, give an altar call. My uncle is not saved. And at that boy's funeral with the casket sitting before the altar, the minister said, I'm going to honor this boy's request. If there's anybody here that's not sure if you're saved, I want you to lift your hand right, right now and I'm going to pray with you to, re to receive Christ that it might be said of this child that he was greater in death than, than in life. Well, that uncle, along with seven other grown men, accepted Jesus at that teenage boy's funeral. You know what? There is, there is nothing of defeat in that. There is nothing of sadness in that. Of course, there was part of those that knew him, that wanted to see him grow up. But the victory in that room was overwhelming. In fact, one little lady came up to the pastor who did the funeral after the funeral. And she said to him, she said, Pastor, I've been to weddings that were sadder than this. There's something about the passing of a saint. On the other hand, it would be inappropriate, shallow, superficial, and thoughtless of me to comment on this whole matter of dealing with death and not give you the other side. There's nothing lonelier, more fearful, more heart-rending, more gut-wrenching than the passing of someone who was unsure of his or her relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I challenge every parent in this place, if, you're, if your children have not heard your, from your lips your testimony, if you have not looked them in the eye and told them of your relationship with Jesus, don't make them assume anything. If you have not looked them in the eye and said, someday daddy's going to die, but I want you to know that I've been born again. I've been washed in the blood of the lamb. My name is in the book of life. And if I died in a car crash tonight, then at my funeral, I want you to look the congregation in the eye and say, I know where my daddy is. My daddy is with Jesus. If you haven't done that, I admonish you in the name of everything that is high and holy and good and pure for the sake not only of your eternal soul, but for the sake of the, of the peace of your family. Do it. I counsel you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ if you're not sure. And in the day of death, you will be saved. You know, everyone in this room will, will stand before God, will stand before the judgment bar of God. Once we pass away, we're, we're going to answer to God for the things we've done in this body, whether good or bad. 
for those whose names are written in the, in the Lamb's book of life, for those who have surrendered their life to Christ, those who are servants of His, those things that we have done are going to be covered with the blood and will be taken into, taken into His presence through the grace of our Almighty God. However, however, for those who have never been born again, it's going to be a very fearsome moment. It's going to be filled with weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, Scripture says. It's going to be filled with remorse, regret, and fear, terror, and agony. But, it's, but at that moment, it's going to be too late. Every person is going to face death. And immediately after, is going to face God. I'm asking you today, whether you're in this building or you're watching online, I'm asking you today, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life. So you can fool me. You can fake it. You can come to church and play the part. I don't know. I don't know your heart. I'm asking you, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? We're going to close with this. I, 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 there was a little girl, six-year-old girl, who knelt at the altar of her church one Sunday and her pastor knelt with her as this little girl was just weeping and she, she, she just began to cry and weep with her head on her pastor's shoulder. Tears were streaming down her face and she, she, said, she said, tomorrow is my birthday. I want you to pray with me for one thing for my birthday. Her pastor said, okay, okay, darling, what is it? Are you having problems? She said, no. She said, I want you to pray that my daddy will call home. She said, I don't know where my daddy is. She said, the only thing I want for my birthday is for my daddy to call me. I just wish I knew where my daddy is. I want to say to you today that if you think that's a nightmare, then you should stand at the funeral of a man who has passed away without anybody knowing for sure if he was saved. We always trust in the grace of God. We, we try to say kind words of comfort, but nobody knows for sure. If you think that's a nightmare, you should look into the eyes of a little widow and, and say, well, we just have to trust God to do what is right. If you think that's a nightmare, you should look into the eyes of a teenager when they ask, do you believe my daddy is in heaven? And then you have to try to think of something comforting and gracious and loving to say because you just don't know. I ask you, Boldly, in, in, in light of the universality of death, are you born again? Are you born again? I'm not asking you if you are a member of a church. You can be a member of every church from here to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and still die in your sin. I'm asking if, you are, are, if you've been born again. I'm asking if the fear of death has been swallowed up in the triumphant victory of Christ who will clothe us in our immortality. I'm asking if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I ask you right now, do your children and your grandchildren and your wife and your husband do they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're saved, born again, follower of Jesus? Where do you stand with Jesus? Will there be comfort and rejoicing and happiness on the day of your passing to, to say we, we miss him, but, but we know he's with God? Or will there be that fearsomeness and dread and terror and saying, well, we're just going to have to trust God and hope for the best? If you're not sure, today is the day of salvation.
Today is the day for you to do something about it. You can cross that line and go from being unsure to being absolutely certain that that your sins have been washed away, that you're a child of God, and you have nothing to fear when the time comes and you'll just simply be changing your clothes from this body to a glorified one. Why don't you bow your head, close your eyes. I want to pray with you this morning. Father, I don't know where anyone is. There's no way I can really look into the hearts of anybody and say, I know for sure about this one. But God, I also know that even though I'm unsure, there are people in this room that that are unsure. There are people that are watching this online that are unsure. God, I pray that you would just lead them to that place where they say, I want to know that today in this moment, in this this very second, that they will make a decision to say, I'm going to make sure my life is right with God. I'm going to make sure that I'm ready for that day when death comes for me. And I want my family to know. I don't want them guessing. I don't want them wondering. I want them to know. So today, I'm going to make that choice. With heads bowed and eyes closed and there's nobody looking around. and Whether it's here in this room or you're online and you're watching. And I believe that the Holy Spirit, he's, he's wooing you. He's calling you. He's, he's saying, I love you. I want to cleanse you. I want, you, want to give you a hope and a future. And maybe there are all kinds of reasons, all kinds of excuses, all kinds of intellectual arguments. But I'm here to tell you the only thing that matters, are you born again? Have you given your life to Jesus? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that, you are, that if you pass today, if you died today, that you would be in heaven? that you would be in his presence? If not, and you'd say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me because I want to know. I don't want to make this an an iffy proposition. I want to know for sure. I want to be able to tell my children, my grandchildren, my, my spouse, I want to be able to tell them for sure. I know that I'm going to heaven. When that day comes, I'm going to fight for life as long as I can, but when that day comes, I don't want you to be afraid. I want you to know where I am. If that's you today and you say, Pastor, pray for me. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to to lead you in his presence. I'd love love to lead you in a prayer where you can just surrender to him. But if you'd like me to pray with you in that way this morning, would you just right where you are, slip your hand up. You say, Pastor, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but I want to be sure. And And you say, would you pray for me? Would you pray with me today? Online, maybe you can just... Put a comment there and say, pray for me. Is there anybody in this room? Say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to be sure. I want to be sure. I want to be ready when the, di- when the time comes. Listen, I want, to, I want to pray. And maybe you're watching online and I can't see responses that are going on there. So I want to pray. And whether you're here, whether you're online, if you pray this prayer with, with a sincere heart, 
It's not the words that matter. It's, it's meaning the words. I'm going I'm to ask you to pray this with me. Just a simple prayer, crossing the line and saying, I surrender. And I'm going to ask everybody in this room just to pray it out loud. Maybe it'll encourage somebody who's making that decision, but maybe it'll encourage somebody that's online. But I want you to pray this with me. Would you do it? Pray this out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, I don't know if I died if I'd go to heaven. But I want to be sure. I believe that Jesus died for my sin. I believe that he can cleanse me. I know he can make me ready for the, for the day of death. So I confess my sin to you. I ask you to forgive me. I believe that you are the Lord. You're the ruler of everything. That you died for me. That you rose again on the third day. And that you are the Lord of, of, of the universe. I surrender my life to you. Make me your child. Help me to live for you. Every day for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, whether you're in this room or whether you're watching online, if you prayed that prayer with sincerity, again, it's not the words. You can pray all kinds of different prayers. What matters is in your heart, are you surrendering your life to Jesus? Have you made him Lord of your life? If you have, I can tell you this. The Bible says that the person who does that, they have passed from death unto life and that means that when death physical death comes for you you still have life amen why don't you stand together with me